Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Lockdown MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all the Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Thanks so much for making us your first listen as we're available on all your free podcasting catchers. I am recording this and dropping it on the 20th day of March, 2022. We're in late March, folks, in just what, what, two or three weeks? We're going to have major league baseball games going on. We have spring training games going on. We have major league baseball games going on. And today I'm going to be questioning the cult of a certain person who seems to be devoid of all criticism. He avoids all criticism. And I talked about it a little bit the other day, but I have to bring it up again because every time I even remotely criticize Brian Cashman, the defenders come out of the woodwork and they do so in a very strange way. And I'm going to cover this. I want this all recorded. And we're doing this in today's episode, which is going to be about the cult of Brian Cashman. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown MLB Pods. You can follow me. I'm your pal, Sully, at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Hey, let's just really take a look at what just happened this morning. Trevor Story signed a contract with the Boston Red Sox. And with that, the entire slate of free agent shortstops have found homes. I didn't think he was going to go to the Red Sox. I didn't. Now, I know Xander Bogarts, who has been there since 2013. This is going to be his 10th season with the Red Sox. He has two World Series rings with the Red Sox. The Red Sox don't sign players to long, long-term deals. It gets teams, you know, it gets the fan base mad because they love their Lester. They love their Mookie Betts. They love their Nomar Garcia Paras. They love their Kevin Euclid's. They love their Xander Bogarts. And then when they trade them away, they say, oh, I'm sick of this organization. Then a couple of years later, they win a pennant and everyone forgets. That's how they work. I've been witnessing this a bunch, especially since new ownership comes around. They're not very cute and cuddly. So Trevor's story is there. There's a long-term solution at shortstop. Xander Bogarts could move over to third. That could shift Raphael Devers over to first or some combination like that. One of them could leave. Who knows? I guarantee you, in no later than 2026, the Red Sox are going to be back in the World Series. Hell, they were almost in the World Series last year. So that's going to happen. But with that, this mind-bogglingly deep bunch of middle infielders who were on the market, and all it took was money to sign them, they've all found homes. Carlos Correa, the other day, found a home with Minnesota. Trevor Story, who I thought was going to go to either St. Louis or to the, I thought may have gone to Houston. He's from Texas. 
um, to replace Correa. Uh, and I thought maybe Anaheim or Los Angeles. I'm sorry. I, um, as someone who is taking classes at Cal State Fullerton, I drive from nearly Dodger Stadium past Angel Stadium to my classes in Fullerton. Believe me, that's not Los Angeles. I'm calling. They're, they're the California Angels. I'm sorry. Calling them Los Angeles is ridiculous. I, I digress. I thought the story was going to go there, maybe. He's gone to the Red Sox. And it's it's surprising to me. I didn't think they were going to do that. So they're off the board. Obviously, Corey Seager signed the biggest of all the shortstop contracts. I thought he was an ideal fit for the Yankees. He signed with Texas. It's a strange move because Texas weren't exactly contenders. But maybe they're seeing the Astros have a feet made of clay. This is going to be a devastating couple of days for the Houston Astros, where not only do they not have Carlos Correa, they don't even have a uh, his understudy. So off he goes. Um, and uh, Baez signed with the Tigers. And Semyon, who I thought really underrated player, maybe not your shortstop, but certainly gives any team their infield depth, he's going to join Seager in Texas. And, of course, the Yankees, who desperately needed a shortstop, don't get any of them. They don't get any of them. They got Isaiah Kainer-Falefa, who is a good player. I'm not saying he stinks, but are you going to bank on him? Are, are they really banking on him to do a better job than Correa or Seager or any other ones? Or Machado a couple of years ago, who they could have signed? You know, we would people were screaming the praises of Glaber Torres just a few years ago in the shortstop position. And now they're like, well, he's definitely a second baseman. Now we're going to be screaming the praises of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa to be the new shortstop at Yankee Stadium when all the other ones were available to be signed and it just costs money? That they could have traded Urshela and Sanchez to fill some of the other needs on the team. None of it makes sense. And, of course, as I pointed out yesterday, the Yankees were bamboozled by the Minnesota Twins for clearing their payroll space by picking up Donaldson and the remainder of his contract, allowed the Twins to sign Correa, while the Yankees were saying, oh, we couldn't move our budget around to bring in a Correa. The Twins found a way to do it by handing their budget over to the Yankees. And isn't it strange? I mean, how could a team like the Yankees afford to sign players when you have big spenders like the Twins and the Padres and the Rangers out there? How could a small market team like the Yankees possibly compete? So I think a big chunk of this blame, and I said this yesterday, I'm repeating a little bit of what I said yesterday, a big chunk of this blame falls on the shoulders of Brian Cashman, who is the general manager of the Yankees. He is the man in charge. We keep hearing how Hal Steinbrenner is an absentee owner. We keep hearing how, you know, the, all these other elements of the team, the buck seems to stop at Cashman. And I know plenty of Yankee fans who wouldn't mind seeing Cashman go. 
you know, a reminder, Cashman has been the general manager since, uh, you know, since 1998. And, for those of you who need a reminder, because sometimes I think 1998 was 10 years ago, it's a quarter of a century, nearly a quarter of a century for Brian Cashman as the general manager of the New York Yankees. That's a long time for anybody. 25, 24, 24, 25 years in one job is a long time for anybody. And even if you're the best at what you do, even if you're Johnny freaking Carson, even if you're David Letterman, David Letterman is my guy more than Carson. Okay. I grew up worshiping at the altar of David Letterman. But after 15 years, he started getting pretty stale. You could sort of see, you know, it was time for some new blood. It was time to move on. Baseball was really different in 1998 than it is now. Very different. The whole concept of analytics was this weird thing that maybe the A's were kicking the tires on. But we were still coming off of the effects of the strike, being in the middle of the steroid era. You know, I mean, this, is the, this was a different time, different ways teams were being put together, and there's been no change. And, and I, when you see that someone is not doing the job, you could say, hey, maybe it's time for a change. Maybe it's time for a change of scenery. Maybe it's a time for a change of philosophy. Were the Yankees an elite team when he took over the team? Yes, they were an all-time great team. Are they an elite team now? There's no conceivable argument that has the New York Yankees as an elite team. Have there been changes of of general managers and front offices all across baseball. There was a time where there was a tremendous amount of pressure to be the general manager of the New York Yankees. That time has passed. This is a cushy job. And look at, this is not me showing jealousy as someone who grew up in New England as a Boston Red Sox fan. Let me speak for Red Sox fans everywhere. I hope Brian Cashman keeps his job forever, forever, as we are entering the second straight decade without a single Yankee pennant. Now, the thing that is interesting is I can point out, and I'm about to, the different elements of which I can point to and say, hey, not that Brian Cashman is incompetent or stupid but maybe it's time for a change because what he's doing is not working. I'm going to break some of it down for you. And what I'm also going to do is I'm going to make the easiest prediction in the world that when I post this podcast, people are going to come out and make sure the blame is pointed anywhere but to Cashman. The, I know smart baseball people who will fold over backwards to make sure that we know that someone else should be blamed. Not Cashman. That's not Cashman's fault. No, 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 that's not Cashman's fault. Cashman, for being the head of all things baseball with the New York Yankees, apparently is not in charge of anything with the New York Yankees. 
if you listen to his defenders. And you know what? It's not been a short amount of time that he's been in charge of this Yankee team. And I think the easiest bet I can make on the planet Earth is that his defenders are going to hate this podcast and point out all the reasons why it's not Cashman's fault. Easiest bet I'm ever going to make, and I'm going to take that bet to bet online. You know, it's that time of year again. College basketball tournament is finally upon us from the latest odds, contests, and player props. Bet online is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. Bet online remains the best spot for your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. Bet online is your continuous source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Las Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. Bet online, that's where the game starts. Hey, let's, uh, before we get back into the podcast, let me talk to you a little bit about Locked On MLB Prospects. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. Locked On MLB Prospects should be your second listen. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. And he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. So the Yankees made the postseason last year. Uh, They needed that big honking win streak in the middle of August. Otherwise, they would have missed the playoffs altogether. They had also a, a burst of a winning streak in the COVID season. Otherwise, they would have missed the postseason then. Yes, they did make it, and and I'm not taking those away from them. But if they they could have missed the postseason each of the last two years, they're on the cusp. And remember, neither year could they get to the league championship series. Last year, uh, 2021, they got clubbed by the Red Sox in the wild card game, in a game that really wasn't that close. You know, after the after um, who was it? It was uh, Judge was thrown out at home plate on the Stanton double. After that, did anyone think the Yankees were even going to show up for the rest of that game? And if you start listing the teams that have a legit shot to go to the World Series this year, it's a pretty much a, the American League is, there's a lot of parity in the American League. There's no one dominant team. Even though the Rays won 100 games last year, it's hard to look at them as a dominant team. But I think the Rays are better. I think the Blue Jays are better. I brought this to several teams that are better. Four or five teams you can rattle off at the top of my head that I'd rather have than the Yankees. And maybe the Red Sox depth has improved with Trevor Story. I still don't like the Red Sox pitching staff. And I still don't like the fact that they, you know, I mean, letting go of Schwarber and trading away Hunter Renfro, I don't get it. They they need pitching help and everything. But I think the Yankees are a fringe wildcard team. That's what they are. You look at the team. You don't know what you're getting out of Garrett Cole. You don't. You know, he's had some injuries. He adjusted okay post-spider tack, but you don't know if those injuries are going to linger. And the lineup is weird. It is a weird lineup. Outside of Judge and Stanton, and Stanton has his own issues, how is this a great lineup? You know, if the Yankees get a bounce-back season from – LeMahieu and from Gallo, and they have a healthy Donaldson. Okay, maybe they'll have some depth in that. That's a lot of ifs. That's a hell of a lot of ifs for a lot of players who are on the wrong side of 30. 
Okay. And so this team that has been assembled is, uh, it seems ill-assembled, especially for a team with this high a payroll. So who assembled the team? Brian Cashman. Why isn't he being blamed? Why isn't he being blamed for not going into this lush free agent market and plucking one of the players who'd so obviously helped the team? You've got a couple of unicorn free agents over the last three or four years, players in their prime, still in their 20s, several years of their prime left to be signed as a free agent, and the Yankees weren't in on any of them. Machado, Harper, Seager, Correa, none of them. I don't even think they were kicking the tires on most of them. Okay. So they have a team that could use their great resources to sign these types of players to help the club. And they don't. So doesn't the buck stop with the person who assembled the team? No, no, it's got to go to other teams. Got to go to other people. Got to blame them. Now let's take a look at a couple other things. All right. You're not going to go to the, you know, the free agent route. How have they drafted? Seriously. How have the New York Yankees been drafting? How many impact players has the New York Yankees farm system developed over the last 10 years? Let's take a decent sample size. And do you want, I'm not taking 10, I mean, 10 years is a big sample size anyway, but think about it. 10 years ago was really the end of the core. Derek Jeter got hurt in the 2012 postseason. Um, and, you know, by the end of that, Jeter was hurt for most of the next year. And Rivera was retired after the year after. It was basically the core was over. You no longer had Bernie or Posada. Pettit hung around for a couple more years, but there was no longer it, the team that Cashman inherited had basically gone away. And so now was the team that he had to build from scratch. So, how many players have they built from scratch? How many impact players? Can't say Gary Sanchez anymore. They couldn't wait to trade him. So who do you got? You got Aaron Judge. Okay. I'll give you Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is a great player. Was an MVP candidate last year. Was an MVP candidate a few years before that when he was rookie of the year. Um, some people want to say Luis Severino. And I will grant you, in 2018 and 2019, Luis Severino was a great pitcher. Legit Cy Young contender, both those years. Homegrown. You know, I'll even give you that. But you have to take in mind, in the last three seasons, Luis Severino has averaged six innings a year. Not six innings a start, six innings a year. He pitched six innings last year, no innings in the COVID season, 18 innings the year before that. Six innings a year over the last three years. But I'll even granting you that, okay? Two, two impact players developed through their farm system. Smattering of middle infielders and outfielders and, you know, uh, stopgap pieces that a farm system is expected to produce. But if they're not going out signing the big free agents, then they got to build something from within. Uh, going back since, the, since 2010, the only player in the first, that they drafted in the first round 
who has become a major leaguer, a legit major leaguer, is Aaron Judge. Of all the draft picks they've had. And yes, I know sometimes they've drafted pretty low, but do you know what? Why have the Dodgers been able to pull this off? Why is almost every year it's someone with zero major league experience? Now let's just take one of those years. I'm going to take one on random on baseballreference.com, the single greatest website, history of planet Earth. Let's go to 2015. Well, they draft, they had two picks. They had the 16th pick, uh, uh, the 16th pick and the 30th pick. Okay. They drafted uh, James Caprillion, who uh, has, uh, you know, made it to the majors, not an impact player. And then they also drafted Kyle Holder. Congratulations. Good use of the draft pick. Walker Bueller was in that draft after James Caprillion. Cabrian Hayes was in that draft after both of their picks. So was Austin Riley. So was Mike Soraka. All players who would have helped. Why were the Braves able to find a decent player? Why were the Dodgers able to find an all-star pitcher like Walker Bueller in the draft after the Yankees? You know, in 2016, they had the 18th pick overall, and they drafted Blake Rutherford, who is tied with me in every major league category. The Dodgers were able to find Gavin Lux, who's made it to the major leagues. You know, um, the Dodgers drafted Gavin Lux and catcher Will Smith. Two players from their farm who were on the team that won the World Series a couple of years ago, who were drafted after the Yankees pick. Why can the Dodgers be able to draft major leaguers after the Yankees draft becomes a bust? Okay, what about trades? Um, there was, I mean, the acquisition of Urshela and LeMahieu were both really good moves by Brian Cashman. Okay, fine. Evidently, Cashman was reluctant to do the LeMahieu signing, but I'll grant him that. Okay, I'll grant him that. I'll grant him that as a positive sign for him. And trading away the dreadful Aroldis Chapman to get Glaber Torres, essentially for nothing because Chapman came back, was a smart move because Glaber Torres gave him a couple of good years and he may be effective again as a second baseman. Okay. But that's not really a great core that's been built, has it? So the team's not being built through the farm. It's not being built through trades, not being built through free agents. And free agents are available. Other teams are able to pull off big trades. You know, the A's are trading away super talented players, and they seem to be landing everywhere but New York. The Reds are trading away super talented players, letting some of their players go, and they're not landing there. And sometimes they have players who are, you know, good quality players who they let go, and other teams are able to harvest what they're able to do. Sonny Gray, they couldn't figure out what to do with him. He goes to the Reds and becomes an all-star. Nathan Neovaldi comes to the Yankees, does well for a little bit, not sure what to do with him. He winds up helping the, the – twice Nathan Neovaldi helped eliminate the Yankees in the 2018 playoffs and last year in the wild card game. And so when you also take a think, look back just at the bunch of years in the last 10 years or so, you know, Cashman really took over control of the Yankees in 2006. Before that, George was alive and there was all the Randy Levine and the, the Tampa office versus the New York office. 
And Brian Cashman was on the verge of leaving the Yankees after 2005 to go to Washington. And the Yankees said, no, Cashman, you're in charge of the team. So you really have to look from 2006 on. One trip to the World Series, several years where they missed the playoffs altogether, and they're no longer producing star players from their farm system. They're not. They're no longer drafting players. They're not. They're no longer making impact trades. They're not. And they're no longer making, with the exception of the, the, the salary dump of Stanton and signing Cole, what, what's worked? What's worked? And yet, if I bring any of this up, all the blame goes anywhere but to Cashman. And I'm, I'm positive some of you are going to be ready to fill up my YouTube comments or my, uh, my Twitter comments saying that I don't know what I'm talking about. It's that Cashman's not fault for this, not Cashman's not fault for that. And in the end, no, folks, he has to take some of the blame. Final segment here, I'm going to address some of the facts, the, the, the things that I hear all the time. And I demand answers from some of you. But first, I need an extra boost. I'm going to get myself a built bar because it's that time of the year where some of us have given up on our New Year's resolutions, but not me. I'm entering spring and I'm still going forward, trying to eat better, be more healthy. And built bars help me out. In fact, it doesn't even feel like I'm doing my resolution because I enjoy eating them. If you try the puffs, if you haven't, you're missing out on one of the best built bar ever. They're the first ever protein infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And puffs are their fan favorite with such great flavors as yummy, cinnamon, churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're so good, these are gonna be new favorites. All built bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Yes, puffs included, 100% real chocolate. They're low calorie, high protein. You replace your candy bars with these, they're better. Typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Go to built.com, scroll down to the macros charts, you're gonna be blown away. High protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carbohydrates. Most built bars contain 130 calories, four grams of net sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar system. As I said, around two to 300 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs. You want flavors? So many great flavors. Cookies and cream, mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond. My personal favorite is raspberry. You can try the new white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious. The new flavors are coming out all the time. If they think a flavor might be good, they'll make it. It'll be delicious and it'll be good for you. At Built Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it delicious first, then they worry about how to make it good for you. I don't know how they pull it off, but they do every time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Anytime I point out these things with Cashman, the apologists come out. Think of all the World Series he's won. He's won four World Series. That's his four World Series titles. Okay. The first three, he inherited a core that was put together by Gene Michael, Buck Showalter, Bob Watson, and developed by Joe Torre. Okay. Now, Cashman was involved in the front office. I'm not taking that away from them. But if he's still doing victory laps, there are kids playing in the major leagues who weren't born until you know, five or six years after 
1996 World Series title, of which Cashman was not the GM for. So he inherited a terrific team. Did he make the right moves between 1998 and 2001? Hard to argue with any of them. Hard to argue with any of them. Now, a lot were done. I mean, how much of it was done by Steinbrenner? How much of it was done by Randy Levine? We don't know. We do know they clashed a lot. We do know there's a lot of butting heads, but I'm even going to grant him that. I'm even going to grant him that. That it was his idea to bring in Mike Messina. It was his idea to trade for Roger Clemens. It was his idea to trade for Dave Justice in the middle of the 2000 season which turned out to be a terrific move. It was his idea to keep Alfonso Soriano around and then eventually flip him for Alex Rodriguez. We know that was George, but anyway. Fine. Fine. You want to give him all that? Fine. That's still a quarter of a century ago. A lot of things have happened. Okay? A lot's happened since then. Now, you want to point out the fact that once he took over the team in 2006, they've had a bunch of really good years. They just happened to have some bad luck in the postseason. They had bad luck against the Tigers in 2006. They got bad luck with the Midges in 2007. There were tons of injuries in 2008. But they won in 2009. But remember, 2009, they opened up the, the, the wallet. And they brought in Sabathia. They brought in... Teixeira, and they brought in Burnett, who didn't turn out to be a long-term success, but he won two gigantic games in that postseason. They don't win the 2009 World Series if A.J. Burnett doesn't win game two of the World Series. If they're down 2-0 to Philadelphia, we're still talking about the last Yankee title being 2000. Okay, so you give Burnett credit where credit is due. Not take that away from uh, Cashman. The, the, the year they opened up the walls and brought in the three biggest free agents available. Okay, but still, that was 12 years ago. 12 years, three presidential terms. Did they acquire Cliff Lee all the different times he was sent off to other teams? No, no, and they desperately need another ace. No. Did they develop a new lineup of superstars? No, they got Judge, and Judge is a great player. Okay, that when they landed. But everything you point at shows that they've gone from the elite team to a fringe wildcard team. And every criticism I just made, someone will point out something else. Cashman got the right players, but they underperformed. Cashman put together the right team, but the manager wasn't right. Well, Boone supposedly is just mimicking what Cashman does. Well, you can't blame Cashman. The scouting department drafted the wrong people. Well, who does the scouting report, the scouting department answer to? Well, do you know what? It's the analytics. And now analytics are being blamed. Well, the Yankees analytics department is messing things up. Well, who's in charge of the analytics department? And I just find it strange. Or, or now it's like, well, it's, it's how, like when I talked about the fact that the Yankees whiffed, they whiffed. It's not an opinion. It's a fact. They whiffed on all these big shortstops. A couple of people who, are, who should know better start talking about, it's Hal. Hal won't open the pocketbook. Hal just picked up $50 million for Josh Donaldson. So we have to blame Hal, the absentee owner, 
for this, or we blame the scouting report, or we blame Boone, or we blame, you know, uh, uh, we blame the analytics department, or we blame the third base coach, or the pitching coach who can't figure out what to do with Sonny Gray. You know, all these different elements. And the one common factor of all the teams of the last 12 seasons has been Cashman. And if I make any of these criticisms, there will be the defenders. And I heard people who are smarter, should be smart enough saying things like, well, if Cashman is let go, someone will hire him right away. Good. Good. You see other front office people banging, you know, moving around, and 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 sometimes you get changes of uh, of mentality, and suddenly you get to see some teams figure some of this out. The Giants won 107 games with a new front office and a new mentality. And trust me, I followed the Giants pretty closely last year. There was the 107 wins were a lot bigger. The sum were a lot greater than their parts. This was not a team filled with Cy Young contenders and MVPs. But yet somehow their analytic department could get it right. Somehow the Dodgers can throw money around, but also be able to build teams up and draft players. Somehow the the Braves could see their entire outfield get injured and fill them up and next thing you know, get to the World Series, even though they're all banged up. Somehow the Red Sox are able to win a World Series, tear the team down, win another World Series, tear the team down, nearly get to another World Series. Other teams can figure this out. The Cardinals have had a ton of upheaval in their front office and their team, and yet somehow remain contenders and get back to the World Series from time to time. Why can other organizations do this? And yet the team that has, you can't point to the one common factor, the guy who put together the wrong analytics department, put together the wrong scouting department who draft the wrong players, the one who allows every other team to sign a big free agent, and yet he helps one of the teams sign one of those big free agents by giving them payroll relief and then use the excuse, well, we don't have the money to do it. For those of you who are defending Brian Cashman, Where am I wrong? And at what point does he have any responsibility? I want to know. Because this hero worship of him is one of the most confusing things I've ever seen in sports. This is not the knee-jerk reaction of the Yankees changing their general manager or manager at the moment's notice like they did at the peak of George Steinbrenner's reign. This is showing that there is no job in sports that is more secure and more cush to use a colloquialism than being the general manager of the Yankees. And he's going to keep that job for a while longer. And Yankee haters rejoice at that. That's a tell. So where am I wrong, Cashman defenders? What point am I wrong? I'm sitting here saying there's so many great baseball minds out there. You don't want to pick apart the Cardinals or the Rays or some of these other teams or the Dodgers or the Giants 
these teams that are able to constantly put together contenders, sometimes on a shoestring budget, sometimes on a big budget, and use that Yankee money to bring them aboard and rebuild a team, you, you have to keep Cashman in there? Why? What's going on? What's going on, folks? Someone explain it to me because I don't get it. I don't get it. So send me your responses at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Send them to me via email at info at sullybaseball.com. Post it on the YouTube comments, wherever. I want to know why Cashman gets a pass from so many people. What is it about the church of Brian Cashman? This isn't everybody. There's plenty of Yankee fans who want him to go. But the minute he says that, smart people start coming up and saying, well, you can't fire him. You know, Look at all the good he's done decades ago. So uh, follow us on Twitter at LockdownMLBPod. Same handle for the Instagram. I'm your pal, Sully. Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. I'll be recording with Miller Thomas. That's going to be dropping on Monday. A couple other things are going up. We've got big stories coming up. Huge, huge baseball weekend. And we got games coming up soon. So talking about why someone just can't be criticized, and I don't get it. This is Locked On MLB for the 20th day of March 2022. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, please, please call me Sully. <laughs>